I want you to take your Bible and open it to the book of Luke, the 27th, or pardon me, the 17th chapter. And this morning, the Sunday after Thanksgiving, I want to preach about staying thankful. Look at somebody tell them I'm still thankful. How many are still thankful? Some of, you, some of us are still full. I see that turkey sitting on you. But how many are still thankful for the goodness of the Lord? I said, how many are still thankful for the goodness of the Lord? And today for a few moments, I want to talk about staying thankful. Because if I found anything out about life, it's that life has a way of robbing you of the awareness and the ability to remain thankful. But God's been too good for us to lose our thanks. Even if something bad happened, we need to consider the good things he's done. How many are going to focus on the good stuff that God's done? Luke 17, verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along, passed through the midst, the middle. One translation in, said in between Samaria and Galilee. Next verse. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers who stood afar off. Keep going. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourself to the priests. And so it was that as they, somebody say, as they went. Say, as they went, they were cleansed. Next verse. And one of them, one of them, one of them, just one out of ten, I came today to find the one. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at Jesus' feet, gave and gave him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Verse 18. You know what about God? God knows who came and who didn't. Were there not any found who returned to give God glory except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. One translation said, your faith has made you whole. Look at somebody, tell them, neighbor, I've made up my mind to stay. Say, I'm going to stay. I've decided, tell them, to be a thankful worshiper. If you're going to be a thankful worshiper, somebody give them a thankful praise in this house. Let's pray together. Father, help me today to preach your word. I pray in Jesus' name that the power of the Holy Spirit would come upon us. I'm asking your Holy Spirit right now 
to move in this place in great power and authority. We pray, oh God, that you will speak to every heart and that every mind would be open to receive the word of the Lord today. And I pray, God, if there's a lost person who doesn't know you love in this house, that something said under the anointing would touch that heart and pull them closer to you. Move in Jesus' name in a powerful way today, Holy Spirit, we pray. And everybody that loves God said amen. Look at somebody on your way down, tell them a thankful worshiper. There are a number of different lenses through which we can watch the ministry of Jesus unfold in the Gospels. You can study the Gospels through the lens of the miracles that he performed. You could organize and study the ministry of Christ by observing the various different people he ministered to in his life. If you flip over to John's Gospel, you could study the ministry and the life of Jesus and how it is closely connected and perceived most deeply through the various feasts that Jesus was a part of. But one of my favorite ways to study the Gospels and to look at the life and the ministry of Jesus is to follow his footsteps and to see the itinerary and the travels of our Lord. By studying his itinerary and tracing his travels, we discover that Jesus often took routes that were not the quickest or the fastest. Some would look at the places Jesus journeyed to and would say that this isn't an efficient way to do ministry. The disciples often thought his methods and his travels were excessive and unnecessary. But the Gospels reveal that Jesus often went out of his way and traveled in inconvenient and inefficient ways just to connect with the forgotten, the marginalized, and the hurting. The text before us today is one of those moments for we see in the text that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. His face is set like a flint on his divine assignment there. He is about to meet with the religious elite. There in Jerusalem, he will confront the, the, aristocracy, the aristocracy of Rome and reveal the hypocrisy of his own people. He is on his collision course with Calvary where there he will be hung from a cross for the sins of humanity. But on his way to Jerusalem, he goes out of his way to walk in what the text calls the place in between. It was this place of the in-between where poor peasant Galileans lived on one side of the border and the ostracized, alienated Samaritans lived on the other side of the border. Few would even walk in this in-between place because both groups of people there were considered useless. But Jesus intentionally goes out of his way on to Jerusalem, on his way to Jerusalem, and he passes through the border, the in-between place of Samaria and Galilee. And as we read this text this morning, we are supposed to understand that there is an unexpected there is an expected tension in this in-between place Jesus is visiting. There is supposed to be a tension there because the two groups of people gathered there are adversaries. They are not friends. 
tensions between the Jews and the Samaritans was well documented. Jews treated the Samaritans as second-class citizens. Samaritans held little regard for the Jewish people. And the fact that Jesus would walk in this place of the in-between reminds us that he will often visit the zone of conflict because he is the Prince of Peace. And it is often, and it is often on the assignment of, of Christ and his travels that he exposes our own prejudices and our own racism and our own dislike for other people. Watch this. In this text, we are taught a valuable lesson, not from the religious elite, not from the people who have all their spiritual ducks in a row. While we would almost certainly expect to see some form of division and hate on the border of Samaria and Galilee, we are not told of any division here. In fact, we are not told of their nationality. We are not told of their race. We are not told of their creed. We are told first and foremost that they are experiencing calamity and pain. They are lepers. They are unclean, unwanted. They are despised by society. They cannot live among other people. They are unwanted by everyone except each other. They have been stripped of pride. They have no one else to call family. They are not known as Jews. They are not known here as Samaritans. We are not told they are red, yellow, black, or white, rich, or poor. They are simply called lepers. And yet they are coexisting in a tribe of ten in a place of peace. How can this be that two groups of people who usually hate and despise each other are actually living together in a tribe and accepting one another? How can they be getting along? You ready for this? Here's how. Pain has a way of purifying you of prejudice. When you feel forgotten, when you feel unwanted, when you feel rejected, when you feel, when you feel like no one else cares about you, you're simply grateful that anyone would want to be a part of your life. It is crazy that this group of ragamuffin lepers from two groups of people that historically hated each other are actually demonstrating the kind of compassion and love for each other that should be found among those in the kingdom of God. It remains the same today. You want to find the greatest concentration of unity and compassion? Don't run to local churches. Run to the soup kitchen. Run to the homeless shelter. Y'all not going to help nobody today. Run to the gospel union where the homeless are gathered. Run down to the cancer ward in Erlanger. You don't see people arguing over the color of their skin or their race or political party. Why? Because pain is something that causes us to lose our prejudice. And when it really comes down to it, can I just tell you that every one of us, despite our race, our color, our creed, our place on the socioeconomic ladder, we are all screwed up, we are all sick, and we're all in need of Jesus. So can we please stop acting like we can make it without each other and recognize that humanity was on its way to hell, and because of Jesus Christ, we have been redeemed, and our names are written down in the Lamb's Book of Life, and I wish I could find somebody thankful for it today. I don't care if you drove up in a Cadillac or rode the car to bus. 
We're all sick and need Jesus. These men were sick, all 10 of them. What were they sick with? Leprosy. The most ravaging, debilitating, feared disease in all of Bible times. In the days of Jesus, it had no cure. It was a slow, cruel death sentence. The facts of the disease of leprosy are revealed in the journal of a doctor who spent and dedicated his life to trying to help those in India who were stricken with leprosy. Dr. Brand had spent most of his medical career in India where he made a dramatic discovery about leprosy. Hear me clearly, please. Careful research convinced him that the terrible manifestations of leprosy were missing toes, missing fingers, blindness, ulcers, facial deformities. All of them traced back to the single cause of painlessness. Leprosy silenced nerve cells and as a result its victims unknowingly destroyed themselves bit by bit because they could not feel pain. The gradual loss of the sense of pain leads a person to misuse the body parts most dependent on pain's protection. A person uses a hammer with a splintery handle, doesn't feel the pain of the splinter, an infection flares up. Another person steps off a curb and breaks his ankle and oblivious just keeps on walking. Another loses the use of the nerve that triggers the eyelid to blink every few seconds for lubricating moisture and the eye dries out and the person becomes blind. Leprosy numbed the nerve endings and over a period of time the victim became insensitive and some initiated a cycle of self-destruction. Not only did leprosy produce a sense of numbness but it also devoured the skin in many cases. It left a person literally uncovered and exposed to the elements. There's a lot of people sitting in our churches who do not have physical leprosy. On the outside, they have on Maybelline and mascara, and they have on a three-piece suit and floor shine shoes, and they got their hair parted and extensions and weaves look immaculate, and everybody's decked out, but on the inside, we've lost our spiritual covering, and we become numb to pain, and we have no sensitivity to the things of God or the plight of humanity any longer. There are people sitting in multitudes and masses in our churches every single Sunday who don't feel anything. We're numb. No sensitivity. Sitting in a self-destructive pattern of hopelessness, alienated and isolated because of their leprosy. You know the story of leprosy according to the book of Leviticus. Anyone who had leprosy was required to keep 100 paces between themselves and the rest of society. And if at any point, imagine the shame that a person would feel if at any point someone started walking to the leprous person, the leprous person was required to yell out, unclean! So as to say, don't approach me. 
And doesn't that happen in church every Sunday? People come through the back door with their issues. They get here late and they leave early because they know their own condition and they don't want anyone to get close enough to see the pain, the scars. Oh, you're not helping nobody today. We, it's, I know we don't run around saying unclean, but we act like we're unclean. And we raise up our own sign to keep distance between us and each other because we know our disease. We know our problem. We know our insensitivity. We smile and speak in tongues on the outside, but on the inside we're numb. We're hurting. We're uncovered. We're bleeding. And we wonder, does anybody know what we're going through? And here's what I found out about people going through pain. They migrate to other people with pain. Most of the time, dysfunctional people only like other dysfunctional people. I'm not getting no help today. And since we all have some element of dysfunction, we all find ourselves flocking and migrating to other people who have some element of dysfunction. Can I just relieve everybody in the church today? Everybody sitting on your road that you thought had it all together has deceived you. Because they went through an argument in the car just like you did. And their kids got up late just like your kids. And their bills are a little bit late just like your bills. And their hair, come on in here somebody. See, this is the problem with the modern church. We don't have any transparency. We spend our life trying to protect an image and an ego that is really nothing more than a facade and a figment of our imagination. I'm going to tell you when you have real revival, when you come to church and quit acting like you got all your ducks in a row and everybody in the house is doing well and all my kids are making straight A's you are lying wonder they cheated and you know it you know it wasn't for the grace of God we'd all be on our way to hell can we all just be real and thank God that we're still alive and by the mercy of the Lord we're not dead yet I feel like preaching today Leprosy numbed their nerve endings and it removed the covering from their life. Most people who have the disease of leprosy are uncovered. That's why they don't get planted at a church. Because they don't want no covering. Oh, I'm getting real about it now. They don't want no covering. They want, they want no accountability in their life. The moment they go to a place and they sense some apostolic covering and authority, they grab their things and run because the reality of it is we'd rather be dysfunctional and unsubmitted. Well, that's just not my style. No, it's not about your style. It's about the fact that all your life you've had this issue and it just keeps devouring the covering off your life. And the more you remain uncovered, the more the disease destroys your future. Look at somebody, they tell them it's time to come up cover, up under cover. It's time to come up under cover. You say, Pastor, I don't know if I can trust it. I'm telling you right now, because you've been hurt in your past by religion does not mean God doesn't want to plant you in a place and watch you flourish in the things of the Spirit. Stop using past hurt as an excuse to remain uncovered. Leprosy numbed the nerve endings. And over time, the victim became insensitive. And in some way, he initiated or she initiated a cycle of self-destruction. And here are these 10 people trapped in dysfunction, 
settled and sentenced in a place of hopelessness. And Jesus goes out of his way, on his way to Jerusalem. He goes out of his way to pass between them. And when he gets there, your Bible says, they heard he was coming by and saw him afar off, and they lifted their voice and cried out for mercy. They have no feeling, they have no family, they have no friends, but they have their voice. The cry for mercy, listen carefully, is the cry for God to keep you from what you do deserve. Grace is the cry for God to give you what you don't deserve. How many are thankful for the grace of God? The grace of God is how you get blessed when you know you didn't deserve to be blessed. (laughs) Anybody in here walking in something greater than what you earned? Lift your hand if I'm talking to you. It's not a rhetorical question. I need to make sure you're alive. And if your neighbor is asleep, karate chop them. Listen to me. How many in here can testify you have more than what you worked for and you have more than what you deserve? Lift your hand. That is a praise for the grace of God. Mercy, however, is a cry for God to keep you from what you do deserve. When you cry out for mercy, it's not God give me stuff. It's it's God keep me from reaping the harvest of judgment I do deserve. See, I'm glad he's a God of grace because grace will cause God to give me favor that surpasses my my reputation and my resume. I'm not finding no help in here. But mercy is not God giving me something. It's God keeping something from coming on me that I really earned my way into and judgment came knocking on my door and had the key to get in. But God stepped in in mercy and said, although he deserves it, you can't have him. Oh my God, I wish I could find somebody in here today thankful not just for what he gave you, but can somebody praise him for what he kept from you that you know you deserved. He he passed by and they cried out for mercy. Mercy was the cry for God to keep them from what they did deserve. What they were literally literally crying was, God, we know we deserve judgment. We know we deserve punishment. But please keep us from what we deserve. What do you do when you feel surrounded and you feel hopeless and you feel isolated and you feel uncovered and you feel insensitive and you feel dead on the inside and you feel numb in your heart? What do you do? You lift your voice and cry out for mercy. I didn't find any help in that right there. I said, what do you do when you're hurting on the inside and you feel feel insensitive, you feel numb, you feel disconnected? What do you do? You lift whatever voice you have left and you cry out for mercy. Why? Because when you're in trouble, there is power in lifting your voice. Psalm 34 verse 6, this poor man cried unto the Lord and the Lord heard him and rescued him out of all his 
this trouble. Psalm 3 verse 1, Lord, many are they increased that trouble me. Many are they which rise up against me. Many are they which say of my soul, there is no help for me in God. But thou, O Lord, are a shield around me. You're the glory and the lifter of my head. Here it is. I cried unto the Lord with my voice and he heard me out of his holy hill. Isaiah 59 verse 2. For the hand of the Lord is not too short that it cannot save. And the ear of the Lord is not too heavy that it cannot hear. Psalm 50 verse 15. Call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and I will bring you glory and you shall glorify me. And 1 John chapter 5 verse 14 and this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will he will hear us. Some of you are only in trouble because you haven't lifted your voice and cried out for mercy but today the cycle comes to an end. The curse is about to be broken. This thing is getting ready to turn around. Somebody holler cry out. They ask for mercy. And anytime you ask God for mercy, he'll give it to you. But oftentimes your request for mercy is attached to one command of obedience. This is where we lose all the people in the church. They cried out for mercy and what did he do? He said, go show yourself to the priest. In other words, what he said was, I'm going to need you to get a testimony. I'm going to need you to get in a place so that you can get this thing recorded. Because you understand something. Had Jesus just healed these men standing there, even though they were healed, they were still not allowed to go back into society because the priest had to sign off on their healing of leprosy. Which is important because what it says is you still got to have accountability in your life when God starts doing a work. Y'all not going to help nobody right here. What we want to do is we want God to heal us, but we don't want to be accountable to leadership and we don't want anybody to stamp the approval of the healing on their life. We got a bunch of rogue apostles and rogue prophets who claim that God redeemed them, but they're not submitted to anybody and they run around talking about how they're going to win the world and nobody even knows if they're delivered from crack and alcohol and y'all not helping nobody. When you really get delivered, you're not ashamed to run back to the priest and say, look what the Lord has done. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. I am a living testimony and I am a witness that you can be eat up with leprosy, but the Lord turned your life all the way around. Some of y'all made a mistake and sat beside somebody who is not afraid 
to reveal the goodness of God and to testify about what he's done in their life. Now, if you sat beside some little ashamed somebody, then you probably haven't been intruded upon this morning. But there's some of you who've had to gather your purse and your Bible and your little attache case because your neighbor keeps threatening to step on it every time they think about the goodness of the Lord. Some gets in their feet, and some gets in their hands, and some comes out of the mouth because when you really start thinking about how messed up, jacked up, tore up you were, and now you look at your life, and here you were a womanizer, but now you've got a wife and babies in the house, and you've got a house that's all your own, and you know it wasn't you, it was the hand of the Lord. I feel God on me right now. Some of you are thankful for the goodness of the Lord. My God! He said, go show yourself to the priest because I don't want you to re-enter society illegally. I want them to know what I've done in your life. Can I thank God right now? Can you help me thank him that he's not ashamed to call us his own? Even though you've got a past, he's not ashamed to call you his. How many of you in here ever had some kids act up in public? Come on, don't lie. You'll go to hell for lying. Yeah, there are times I, when they make all these grid grays and dropping new CDs and they got, yeah, we got it going on. Yeah, that's my son. That's my daughter. That they're one, yeah, they play the piano and sing like angels, yes, but you let them start screaming in public and acting crazy and all of a sudden, I don't know where these kids came from. <laughs> Go talk to their mama. Why? Because sometimes the reputation of our children makes us look like unfit parents. But aren't you glad that God doesn't just, he doesn't research our resume. And he doesn't, his own grace and good name are not negatively affected because he's willing to cause us, call us who have a past his children. In other words, his children may fall, but it doesn't mean he fell. His children may screw up, but he's still a holy, righteous, lifted up God. And I'm thankful this morning, even when I blow it, he still calls me his own. You better praise him for that this morning. And they lift up their voice. And they cry out for mercy. And he says to them, go show yourself to the priest. And here's something crazy. Had they gotten to the priest and still had leprosy, he could have ordered their execution. Amen. Literally. Jesus tells them why they still have leprosy on their body. Go show yourself to the priest. And these guys are crazy enough to take off walking. They start behaving in ways that cause you to think they're healed even though they still got leprosy on their skin. Y'all miss what I just said. Sometimes you got to walk in the kind of faith that gets you into the journey. Oh, there are too many people who wait to walk until the leprosy dissolves and disappears. There are too many people who wait to walk until they get all their ducks in a row and everything lines up and I'm going to get my bills paid and I'm going to get my student loans paid and I'm going to wait to get married until, uh, until I have $100,000 saved 
saved up and I'm going to wait till I, no, no, no. Sometimes you just got to believe it's in the walk that I'll find my miracle. It's in the journey that I'll get my breakthrough. I refuse to stay where I am even though I still have a mess on me. I told, the Lord told me to go show myself to the priest and I got enough faith to believe if I'll act like I'm healed and behave like it's a done deal by the time I get to where I'm going what was on me will not be on me anymore touch your neighbor tell them get to walking get to walking stop acting like everything's got to be perfect before you can make a move stop acting like everything's got to be done before you make a move sometimes you got to hear him say go and you got to walk as messed up as you are keep on walking every step you take one more lesion disappears every step you take one more nerve comes back to life every step you take one more prayer gets answered. Look at your neighbor say hey say hey neighbor get to walking I don't know what's out of line in your life but if you'll just start walking toward your miracle by the time you get there line upon line precept upon precept God will do what he said he would do slap somebody tell them get ready get ready get ready get 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 they found they found their miracle as they walked it out well I'm not going to move till God does it you're not going to get it you're not going to get it you're going to have to walk this one out you're going to have to take some steps by faith and you're going to have to listen you're going to have to thank God for what he does in the process. They take off walking toward the priest and every step they took, they look down and something else is getting healed and they start feeling stuff again. And what was numb comes back to life and what was dead starts resurrecting and the, and the skin starts growing back and they start getting covered up and that broke finger gets healed and that broke leg gets healed and those wounds that were oozing and bleeding every step they take they look down and say my God what's happening to me and the one next to them said I don't know but let's keep walking because every step we take another one of us get another healing I don't know what it is about this thing walking with Jesus but every time I listen to him and obey his word another thing comes into alignment in my life if some of you would just obey God and stop complaining and stop murmuring and stop talking and backbiting and you just slap somebody and tell them get to walking, get to walking, get to walking. You've been sitting down too long waiting on the miracle. The miracle is in the walk. The miracle is in the journey. And at some point in the journey, Oh, oh, that's okay, but I didn't come to preach about none of that. I came to preach about the one. Amen. Come here, other help me. Come here, other help me. Come here, Josh, help me. Uh, let me stay faithful to this. Come here, young man. Young man. Come, come, come here. Come here, man. You look, you look cool today. Come, come over here. Help me. Come on. Come on, Obed. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on. Two, 
four, six. Come on, Mark, you got a suit on today. My God, you look better than you've ever looked in your life. Come on, stand right here. Pastor Gary, Pastor Gary, come stand right there. Samuel, come stand right there. How many do I got? How many do I got? Two, four, six, eight. Two, four, six, eight. I need two more. Come on, Dave. Come on, Dave. Come on, Dave. Come on. Come on, Trent. Don't look at me with that hair like that. Come on. Get up here. Come up here. Okay. Okay. Jesus. Jesus said, all of y'all. Now, they're all living together. They're all in a tribe together. They all jacked up, and they all got the same sickness, and it don't really matter what language they speak and what color their skin is. And can't nobody outdress elder on Sunday morning. Ain't nobody going to touch him. In Chattanooga, ain't nobody going to touch him. Clean as clean can be. But what makes them all like is their sickness. And they all start walking. Come on, get in a little group. Y'all two spread out. Y'all act like y'all don't like each other. Come on. They start walking toward the priest. They start walking toward the priest. And as they walk, they're being healed. And as they keep walking, they keep getting healed. And as they take another step, another thing gets healed. And finally, one of them stops. And the rest of them keep walking. And one of them says, I don't have it no more. Now, you would think that it would be necessary. I don't know where y'all going. (laughs) Y'all fixing to walk to the parking lot. (laughs) I'm going to tell you something. I'm fixing to blow your mind about the goodness of God. You ready for this? How many of them got healed? All of them. What are you telling me, Pastor? I'm telling you God is good to even ungrateful people. Just because you're blessed don't mean you're a worshiper. Because I know a lot of people who are blessed that sit down all service long acting like they... Oh, God, I'm getting ready to mess the whole thing up in here right now. I'm getting ready to mess everything in here up because there's some people walking in blessings you don't deserve and you hadn't even told God, thank you this week. Just because you're blessed and healed doesn't mean that you're a worshiper because I know a bunch of people God's been good to that never stopped and turned back to tell God, thank you. It's not that everybody was a worshiper. None of them got the miracle, but they kept on walking. And one says, hold up a minute. I looked down at my hands and my feet. I looked over at my arms and my chest and my ear that was all destroyed and my lip was falling off and my nose had a hole in it. Yeah, I'm I'm painting an ugly picture because that's what leprosy will do to you. But on my way to the priest, I looked down and all of a sudden some stuff that was missing had been restored. Some stuff that I couldn't feel, I, I couldn't touch and feel with this hand, but now all of a sudden I'm running my hand through my hair and I not only feel my hair in my hand. I feel my hand in my hair. I'm feeling something all over. What is happening? I'm going back 
They're going to testify to tell him what happened. I'm going back to the one who did it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a group of people in here. You're not infatuated with running to the temple to show yourself off. You got to go back to the one who gave you what you lost. And you got to go find the one who spoke life over you. And you got to go back to the one who put your your family back together. And you got to find the one that told you everything's going to be all right. And you got to do one thing. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I came back this morning to tell you I'm not like the nine who forgot about it. I'm like the one who came back to say. Y'all can sit down, but you've got to stand up. Y'all can sit down. So let me give you, just stay right there, Elder. You ain't through yet. Let me tell you something about a thankful worshiper. Three things I'm going to get out your way. Maybe. (laughs) Three things about a thankful worshiper. Number one, a thankful worshiper closes the gap. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. In the beginning of the story, the lepers stood afar off. Read this text. Read the text. The Bible said they stood afar off. But a thankful worshiper came back and actually got close enough to fall down at his feet. I can't find no help right here. That's why some people feel like God is a million miles away because you haven't been a thankful worshiper lately. And when you're not a thankful worshiper, you allow the gap to rule in your life. And God seems like he's a million miles away. But a thankful worshiper closes the gap. Stand right there, Elder. Can I tell you that when you start worshiping God, come on, Elder, when you start worshiping God, it closes is the gap. In fact, God said, if you'll just take one step toward me, I'm going to take a million toward you. I'm going to close the gap. Some of you don't know it, but you're one hallelujah away from closing the gap. You're one thank you, Jesus, away from closing the gap. The devil wants you to feel a million miles away from God, but if you'll lift your hands and say, I love you, Lord, you heard my cry. It closes the gap every time you praise the Lord. A thankful worshiper closes the gap. Well, I want to get closer to God. And you sit like this. Yeah, I ain't a thankful worshiper. A thankful worshiper says, you know what? I'm tired of this watch being my God anyway. I'm tired of looking back on that screen back there wondering what time it is. In fact, let me get something off my chest. I'm tired of y'all affecting me when you get up to walk out in the middle of my sermon. If you got to leave, I love you. But if you think I'm cutting this one in half to accommodate your chicken buffet, you're out of your mind. I could give a rip less if the chicken gets cold and the neighbors ain't there when you get home to serve them. I feel God on me this morning. A thankful worshiper closes the gap. But I want you to see something. I've never seen this before. I was studying this thing. 
open the, put the, put the text up on the screen, the scripture that said he came back and with a loud voice gave thanks. Can you find that scripture and put it up on the screen? It's right there in the 17th chapter. With a loud voice, with a loud voice, watch this. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned. Somebody say returned. And with a, well, brother, why this? This is sheer emotionalism. And all of this volume is really shallow and unnecessary. It's only unnecessary to people who are still walking with leprosy. Anybody who had it and now they can't find it only has one natural response. I'm going back. I'm going back. It would be out of order for me to have this blessing and not go back to the one that gave it to me and tell him thank you. Sit down. Let me finish this. So look at that verse. I want all you scholars in here to go check me after church. Take it by faith till then. Loud voice is two Greek words. Loud is mega. Voice is phone. I'm not making this up. This is in the Greek manuscript. Mega phone. Hey, Jesus. Thank you for your blessing. Hey, Jesus. still got leprosy, you don't have any reason to praise him. But if you know what it feels like to be lost, and now you're found, somebody get a megaphone out and let everything that has breath, pray. Somebody give him a megaphone praise, a megaphone praise, a real praise. That pierces through the heavens. I need to bless the Lord in this house. Somebody give him a Shabbat praise. I feel something happening in this room right now. I feel somebody getting rid of that little tired old dried up hallelujah and somebody is remembering the goodness of the Lord and it's time to say hallelujah. I will raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. Here you are, nice suit and tie, 
beautiful family. But it ain't always been talking in tongues, Elder. And you ain't always looked this good on a Sunday morning, Elder. In fact, there were some days in the past where you didn't know where you was when you woke up on Sunday morning, Elder. And now you look down at your hands and your life and your body and your spirit and you say, I don't have what I used to have. And when you think about his goodness, what does it make you want to do? Hallelujah! Thank you, Jesus! Hallelujah! What if I told you last Sunday God healed his daughter and her husband's marriage and that's the reason why we praise God? Oh! Somebody lift your voice and give God a megaphone praise! Oh! I need you to take a 15 second praise break and get your megaphone out and praise Praise him that the car crashed and killed you. Praise him that your baby didn't die of an overdose. Praise him. What is that? Somebody better call the fire department. This place is on fire. Somebody give God a praise. A thankful worshiper will close the gap. A thankful worshiper is not ashamed to lift up their voice. On this Sunday morning, the first Sunday in December, I authorize everybody in this room from now on and for the rest of your life, every time you walk through the door, open up your mouth and put a praise on the inside of it and give God the highest praise. Give him a megaphone praise. Don't come in here and wait on somebody to get you motivated. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. James Bilbrey, where are you at? Holly, where are you at? Where's the baby at? in the baby's room. You know why that's a miracle? Because a week and a half ago, they sent us a message at Athens service and they said the baby was born and not breathing and y'all better pray. I'm gonna tell you what a real thankful worshiper does. It closes the gap. And although they said the baby may not make it, the baby's in the baby room right now. Somebody get a megaphone praise out and lift your voice in worship to the king. Oh, Lord. Now, I'm going to say this and I'm going to be done. There has been a move towards cerebral Christianity. And we don't want 
to lose our dignity and we don't want to put our ego on an altar and we don't want for anybody to think we're a touch crazy by lifting our voices when we come to church. But I'm going to tell you, last night I took my two boys to the Tennessee football game. And in 54-degree weather, raining cats and dogs, and a monsoon, there were 80,000 people sitting in ponchos and jackets. And when Eric Gray ran a 94-yard touchdown, we all screamed like we lost our mind. And then we come to houses of worship on Sunday morning and people who lead worship have to beg backslidden people to even say hallelujah and when they say it they didn't even mean it and then we wonder why there's no glory I'm telling you that mess is over God is raising up a tribe of megaphone worshipers are not ashamed to lift their voice. They're not ashamed to lift up hallelujahs. They're not ashamed to lift up thank you Jesus. I'm not praising to be seen. I'm praising him for what he's done for me. I came back to say I'm still thankful. And the last thing is this. Number one, thankful worshipers close the gap. Number two, thankful worshipers give him a megaphone praise. I just caught a vision of little Susie Homemaker doing crafts with her children. All of a sudden walking through the house. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! You say, what does that mean? It means that there's some mamas in here who think the devil's told you you don't have a place in the kingdom. You don't even have a job, the devil said. You don't even have a responsibility. God told me to tell you to make that house a worship service. If you'll walk through that house and give him a megaphone praise, he'll get in every one of your children. The Holy Ghost will turn their life upside down. I feel a dance in my feet this morning. Somebody help me praise him. Somebody help me praise the Lord in this church. We're not ready for that. I got to get this last point out. Point three. Let me stay hermeneutic. Point one, they draw, they close the gap. Point two, they give a loud praise. Loud. Amen. Loud. Hallelujah. Well, I don't want to be shallow. I'd rather you be loud and shallow than deep and silent. Hey. What if I told you silence offends God? Oh, but Brother Wallace, the Bible puts a premium on silence. There are times to be silent, but there are times to make a loud noise. I keep saying I say it all the time when we went and visited the Morkerts and Sister Christine was in the hospital several years ago and they told us she wasn't going to make it oh that was a heavy time five years ago today look at God I didn't even know it come up here and help me give him a megaphone praise come up here come up here Morkert family all of you come on my God mama's still here Death couldn't have her. I wish I could find. Come on, let's just go do this together. Let's 
just praise him together. Somebody praise him in the church. I feel a megaphone, hallelujah. The doctor said she wouldn't be alive. Go ahead. The doctor said she wouldn't be alive, but five years later, she still got the victory. Somebody give God a megaphone praise. But there's been too many miracles and too much goodness and too much grace poured out for us just to wait on something else to happen. I'm telling you and challenging this house as we move forward, don't wait for one more thing to happen before you get loud. Think about all he's already done and stay loud until the next miracle happens, which will only make me get louder. Hallelujah. Feel it. I feel it in this room. Somebody take a 20-second megaphone praise break. Give it glory. Somebody give it glory. Hallelujah. Last thing, I'm trying to finish this sermon. Thankful worshipers, close the gap. Say, close the gap. Thankful worshipers have a megaphone praise. Say, megaphone praise. Number three, thankful worshipers don't just get healed, they get made whole. somebody to take the next 30 seconds and finish the transaction. Close the deal. If he's ever done anything good for you, if he's ever made a way where there seemed to be no way, if he's ever displayed his grace and his miracle favor in your life, I want you to take the next 30 seconds to return back to the one that did it and give him the best praise until he makes you whole.
moment. But before we do anything else, this house on this morning is assigned to give God a megaphone praise that heaven cannot ignore from Chattanooga. So if God has been good to anybody in a way that they are not ever going to forget it, get to the altar right now because in about 20 seconds, we're going to give him the best halal praise we have on the inside to come back to the one that blessed us and to say thank you. Shout, 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 shout. 
God and praise Him. Put on a garment of praise.
today. We, the redemption to the nation's family, we make a covenant with heaven not to be like the nine. God made this house be like the one. The one that came back to say thank you. The one that came back to fall down at your feet and give you glory. And I pray God today that something would shift and shake in the culture of this place. From this day forward, we would be a people who bring a megaphone praise to church. And Father, not to praise you just for what you're going to do, but to praise you for all those things you've already done. We're a grateful people. And today we commit to stay thankful. If you're going to stay thankful, give him the best praise you've given him all day long. Come on. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Before we leave this building today, we're standing all over this room with hearts full of thanks. And perhaps there is someone in this room today who would say, Pastor Kevin, pray for me. Pray for me because I need to get right with God. Pray for me because I need to make sure my sins are forgiven and I need to make Jesus my Lord. If you're in this room and you know right now you're not right with God, but you feel him in his love drawing you closer to him and you want to say yes today, if that's you, when I say three, just throw your hand up so I know who to pray for. One, two, three. Yeah, 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 yeah. I see hands up. You can put them all down. Here's what I want everyone to do. Everyone look at me. I want everyone to can, if y'all just help me, can you just slide and clean some space out right here in the middle? You don't necessarily have to go back because I think we ought to celebrate real passionately what's getting ready to happen here. But I want you to all over this room right now in just a moment to look at the person on your right and left. And whether you've known them your whole life or you never met them before today, in just a moment I want you to ask them a question. Do you need someone? Here's the question I want you to ask them. Do you need someone to go to the altar and pray with you? There were at least six, seven people that lifted their hands. I don't come get anybody. If you want to get saved, you know it. And all you're waiting on is an opportunity. But sometimes in a building this big with this many people, you may feel like it's a lot of people here, Pastor. I'm a, I'm a little scared. So here's what I want you to do. Oh, come on, sweetheart. They're already coming. I want you to look at the person on your left and right. Hold on. This is wonderful. But I want you to look at the person on your left and right and say, do you need someone to go to the altar with you? And if you lifted your hand, or you should have, when they ask you that question, would you just come with them, stand with me right now? This sweet lady that's already come, God's going to touch her heart. Anybody else who wants to make a move today and say, I'm not leaving like I came. I saw hands. I'm not coming to get nobody. But somebody needs an opportunity. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming, sweetheart. Come on. Anybody else? I want to give my heart to the Lord. Thank you for coming, sweetie. Come on. Come on. They're coming. They're coming. They're coming. They're coming. This is, oh, yes, yes, yes. This is a good thing. Somebody help me. Give God praise. Anybody else? Anybody else? Before we pray, I want some elders and pastors just to come help me in this altar right now. Everyone else that can, just for another couple of minutes, stretch your hands toward this altar. Would you pray for these precious brothers and sisters who've come like you wish somebody would have prayed for you the day you gave your heart to the Lord? Come on. When I think about the Lord, when I think about the Lord, you saved me. 
how we praise Yes, yes. something wonderful today. James, will you bring your family up here? I want them to see this miracle. You can keep praying, Elder. I'm not trying to break up a good prayer. Come stand up here. You're a tall brother. Sweetheart, come stand here. Come on, Holly. Come on, James. Get up here. What's the baby's name? Canaan Isaiah. Oh, little Isaiah. I have an Isaiah. This is what a miracle looks like. What's your name, sweetheart? Nicole. Little James. You're not little. Whoever told you it was little, they didn't know what they were talking about. Lord, I thank you for your grace and mercy on James, Nicole, and Isaiah. I bless this family today. And I'm going to tell you, while I'm praying for you, family, God's about to, I see him taking an eraser and erasing some religious pages. And these pages of religion hurt, hurt you. There's some pain in that part of your story. It's religious hurt. Today it's being erased. I need to tell you there's a place for you in the kingdom of God, that you're on this planet for a purpose. Part of it was to raise this baby in the fear and admonition of the Lord. But it's not just raising this child, Nicole and James. There's a purpose in your lives. And I speak over your life right now that every lie that ever told you you weren't worthy or you weren't good enough or religion that told you you couldn't add up enough, it's broken off of you now. Hallelujah. 
You're about to see the goodness of God in a way that's going to blow your mind. And in three years, if you'll just keep following God, in three years, you'll look back and see the journey you've made, and it will be full of miracles, blessing, victories. You'll walk through some challenges, but you'll never, ever get stuck in the valley. You'll always overcome because God is for you. And today, his blessing is being released into your lives. I bless you now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. I cancel every negative word ever spoken over you. I bring the power of every false prophecy ever spoken over your life. And I prophesy the goodness of the Lord is about to be manifested to you and your family. In Jesus' name, amen. Tell this family you love them. We love you. God bless you. Proud of you. Listen, it's a good day to give God thanks all day long. As you leave today, I want you to leave with a heart full of thanksgiving and keep it. Look at your neighbor and say, stay, thank stay thankful. Love you. Bye.